The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme and happy 2024. I cannot believe I'm going to be a mom this year. Like pretty soon, potentially at the moment that you're listening to this, I could be in labor, which is absolutely fucking wild. I, I don't even know what to think about that. I am so excited for this month of episodes because I feel like we really curated it for it to be like that new year, good vibes, good energy, like helpful tips coming into the new year types of episodes. The first one, aka today's, is with an incredibly impressive human named Topaz. And if you haven't heard of his series, it's called The And. It's like a YouTube phenomenon. And he also is the executive director and founder of The Skin Deep. And everything that he does is about getting to know someone else better, like getting deeper, connecting more. And I feel like this year should be all about connection. We have since COVID, COVID was now like almost four years ago in terms of, you know, when it began, not saying it ended four years ago, but since then, I feel like we've just had trouble connecting with people the way that we once did. And we're all a little bit socially awkward. I certainly am. And our social batteries are like, are just limited in a way that they never were before. So I really hope that this episode is helpful to you to kind of get back into knowing what it's like to connect with someone, tools to connect with someone. And yeah, I will give you a little update on our New Year's. It was very different than any other year. We were in the city and it was just Stephen and I really for most of the night. I ordered some caviar actually, which I was very excited about. Yes, you can eat caviar when you're pregnant as long as it's pasteurized. But honestly, even if it wasn't at this point, I'd say, fuck it, this baby is cooked. The caviar was incredible and we made some lamb chops and steak and pasta It was absolutely delicious. And then we actually made our way over to Steven's friend's apartment for like an hour to watch the ball drop, which was really nice. I always love the aspect of having a New Year's kiss. And in a way, it is kind of our anniversary of like when we ran into each other four years ago, which you heard me talk about on last week's episode. If you missed last week's episode, the invisible string stories really will pull your heartstrings, no pun intended. They were so cute. And a lot of you have reached out with more stories since then. So maybe we'll have to do a part two. I know we're going to have to do a part two on the best relationships come to those who wait because I know you guys were a fan of that episode too. Anyway, it was a very chill New Year's and now it's kind of just a waiting game for this baby. So we will see what happens and when this baby's sign will be. I feel like as they put this baby in my hands, I will be Googling his entire birth chart like immediately. If you're an astrologer, DM me so that we can immediately text right after. I'm going to go over some of your questions and topics and then we'll get right into Topaz. Okay. This person said, I have a first date set up for tonight. I checked Hinge where we had connected and our connection slash chat is gone. What are your thoughts? Okay. I find that really sketchy. I would 100% address it on the date and be like, what happened to our Hinge match? I noticed that you unmatch me. It's very like, why? I'm just so curious. I just feel like it's weird. I personally never did that. If I matched with someone, I matched with someone unless they were harassing me or like I changed my mind. There's no way I would unmatch them, especially if I was going on a date with them that night. So I find that strange and I think you should call them out. This person said, can you talk about feeling insane jealousy in the beginning of a relationship? This is very real. And I think the reason that you feel the most jealousy in the beginning of a relationship is because everything's new. So it's like the most exciting. And you know, this person has either a past or other people pursuing them. Like 
or at least you'd hope that they would. Right. And there's nothing that you can do about it because you don't have any like say in who they can speak to. You're not official yet. You've just met this person and you're going to be jealous because they're going out and they're single, but you have started to develop feelings. So I would say like a normal amount of jealousy in the beginning is, is healthy and good. An insane amount of jealousy. I don't know how normal that is. Like, I'd be curious where that comes from and just kind of walking through what does an insane amount of jealousy look like? Like, are you making voodoo dolls for everyone in his life? Because that might be a little much. But if you're, you know, checking who he's following and feeling like you're starting to notice people showing up on his Instagram, like that's normal. It it means that you really like them and like you're scared. And that's a good feeling. I would say if you were too comfortable too soon, that wouldn't be a good feeling. So I think it's okay, but I'm curious what insane jealousy means to you. So tell me. Someone asked, what are your thoughts on men who insult as a way to flirt? Can it ever be healthy or are they just insecure? I hate this and it's called negging and women do it too. Like everyone has probably done it at some point. It worked for me when I was 18, 19, 20, but as I got older and even like when I would have boyfriends that would kind of poke fun at me, especially in public, it was such a turnoff to me because first of all, like there's just more creative ways to flirt and like be, I don't know, have that banter. And I just feel like the insult thing is so weird. It's like when comedians all they can do is curse and say racist stuff. It's like be a little bit more creative and come up with something to really like make us laugh while staying in the guidelines. And I feel like any guy who is insulting you as a way to flirt, especially after age 23, is definitely either insecure or just inept at flirting. I would either avoid that person or call them out and just be like, yeah, it kind of hurts me when you insult me. And if this is your way of flirting, like, I just want you to know it's not working. I don't know, maybe that would be helpful to them, whether you want to continue with them or not. But it's a no from me. Somebody had asked New Year goals, how to achieve the things that you want to. I'm not going to lie. I feel like a lot of the time these New Year's resolutions and goals are toxic. Because I'll see something that's like, okay, here's my goal. No alcohol, running 10 miles a day, five workouts, three times a week. Like it's, it's always going so hard. And for me, that's so unrealistic. If I'm going to set new goals for the year, they're going to be things that I can like very slowly implement or like one tiny thing I can add in every day, like another hour of productivity or one less hour of screen time. And even that gives me anxiety because I'm like, my job is being on a screen and like using my screen. So that affects another goal, which is like to be great at my job. You know, it's like, I think when you're talking about new year's goals, you should just add a little, like it's cheesy as, as it is, like do something that scares you like once a week. Or just like a little thing that you know is actually manageable, like clean up your apartment once every two weeks or try to incorporate different foods into your diet. Like it doesn't have to be so extreme, like cutting out all alcohol, cutting out all people who are mean to me, cutting out all boys, cutting out all apps, cutting out all like it's like relax, you know, do something small and attainable. And I feel like when you have these small and attainable goals, you're more likely to achieve the things that you really want to and be proud of yourself. Okay. And last one, how to teach someone who is bad at sex without offending them. This is actually a lot easier than you think. You kind of make it about what you like and not like what they're lacking and what they're bad at. So I prefer to talk about sex not in the bedroom. I feel like it's actually way more fun to do it over dinner or drinks with this person. And you can be like, you know, something that like I really want to try that I've been thinking of. 
something that really helps me like achieve an orgasm is when you put a finger in blah, 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 while stroking, blah, 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 or whatever it is, or like, oh, I was really thinking like, I want to show you this thing later or whatever. I feel like if you come at them during sex, guys are so sensitive to begin with, especially when they're like trying to maintain interaction. Like it's not the best time to try to tell them what they're not good at. So I think when you're just like hanging around or you're on a date, it's a good time to kind of explain what you like. And then during sex itself, like you can guide their hand somewhere or you can do this or that. But I wouldn't say that bad sex is a deal breaker. I think I would give it like six months if you really like this person. And just in terms of like the sex that you're having, if it still doesn't get better after that, then maybe the physical connection is not going to be there. But it takes a little while to get into a good sexual groove with someone. And especially if everything else is amazing, like I would personally be able to look past it. But then if it doesn't improve after six months, then then what are we doing here? Anyway, I don't want to take up too much of the interview with Topaz because I think that you guys will really enjoy him. And I'm excited to hear what you think. Buying furniture for a nursery is no joke. It is so stressful because you don't know if the baby is coming today or in three weeks or when. And I'm just so grateful that we ordered most of it via Article because Article is the best furniture site ever. It's fast, affordable shipping across the US and Canada. They don't leave you waiting around. Like you pick the delivery time and then they actually update you every step of the way. They have a curated assortment of mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandinavian, and boho designs that make furniture shopping really simple. I personally am obsessed and have gotten so many compliments on the rug that we got from Article. It is a It's called a blue pearl bovi rug. If you're checking out the website, you can find it there. We have now had it for three years and it is in amazing condition and it goes with the rest of the room that we are decorating for our baby and we just love it. Like the colors are incredible. All of the furniture that I have found on Article is better than the next and they're updating all the time. Article's offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim this, you just visit article.com slash Acme and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash Acme for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. Can't wait to see what you get. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm so excited to be here with Topaz. He is the writer of 12 Questions for Love and the founder of The Skin Deep and The And Experience. And he's here sitting with me right now. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Love your energy. Mm, Thank you. Just putting that out there. Good energy. You can just tell. Thanks. My first question for you is, what's your favorite romantic gesture? Oh, thank you. That's good. (laughs) Can you just define gesture? Like, do you just like in a relationship or a flirtation dating? Or just... So this is for someone to do to you that let's say you're in a relationship with or that's courting you or something that would really, you know, sweep you off your feet or just keep you, you know, happy. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is um, like holding, holding me in their gaze, like being present and really in the, you know, the black onyx of the eyes dropping into that space, mm-hmm. you know, not just looking in the eye, but dropping into the center and like breathing in that spot. And like when my wife does that, she's really good at it. So that's a really positive. And then like back when I was single or dating, like I would do that. And that's actually where a lot is communicated, right? It's in the black onyx of the eye when the two connect. And yeah, so that to me is a beautiful romantic gesture. But you have to be very like secure with yourself to have that gaze situation, especially in early stages of dating. Like totally. if, If a guy did that to me early on, I would be like, this guy's going to murder me. <laughs> well, but it depends. I bet sometimes it depends on how they hold themselves and what's going on inside, right? Yeah. Because there's a lot that, like sometimes there's that thing of just looking in the black onyx and speaking to your heart or your presence. And there's a lot that's communicated there. And I think that's something that people want to feel is presence. I think especially maybe if you do have like feminine masculine energy, the feminine yeah. energy. But no, that no. That would be my... I like it. That's unique. We've never gotten that before. Really? On here. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. that's that's that would be that's like a and if you think about it too is that when you watch people in environments dating or relationship or whatever like at dinner or how often do we really look at each other especially mm-hmm. now with the phones and we almost avoid eye contact and some cultures they intentionally avoid eye contact but i think in western culture there's a lot that we can do in that space yeah no definitely you know? definitely there's a we're actually doing an event or we did an event with this place called The Feels. And like what they do is like, I think it's like 15 minutes of literally just looking into each other's eyes to connect. (laughs) And it's, I mean, it's a commitment for sure. It's intense. And it feels like forever, right? Yes. I mean, I would would say that if you're listening to this right now, I assign you to (laughs) look into someone's eyes for 15 minutes. Your girlfriend at dinner, like it doesn't have to be a romantic situation, a friend, a parent, Totally. Anyone you're intimate with. Other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what's interesting too is that oftentimes people might think that, oh, I'm looking into their eyes and it's maybe invasive for them, but actually it's really about your comfortability. To be, it's almost like a reflection of yourself and how comfortable are you in that space. I remember kind of learning that when I was a filmmaker making documentary films. And sometimes I'd go to places where it was quite difficult to be like a Agent Orange Hospital in, in Vietnam. And you see these kids who are quite disabled or have born defects. And when I'm filming them at that point, I realized that sometimes I take the camera away because I felt like I was invading in their world. And that was a reflection of my own kind of inability to be in an intimate space or a vulnerable space. And so the same thing applies when you're looking at someone else's eyes. Maybe you want to look away, but is that not because of them? It's because of how hard it is on you. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, are they looking at the pimple? Like, are they looking at the pimple? Like, that's like the first that's thing. It. That's like, You're what? like, do they notice my eyes are two different sizes? Mm. You mentioned a wife. Mm-hmm. So I imagine your current relationship status is married. Yeah. Can you tell us about a little bit about how you and your wife met? Sure. My wife's name is Ikari, which is cool because my name is Topaz. So it's like two people with interesting, weird, you know, different names. Mm-hmm. I was living in New York for 16, 17, you know, 18 years. And I basically got burnt out of New York and I was heading to New Zealand. And my father was sick in Mexico. And he asked me to come as the oldest son to come support him and his wife as he was waiting for like a life-saving surgery. So I went, but on the way, I talked to some of my Brooklyn friends and some of them are from Guadalajara, Mexico. And they said, oh, you got to meet these three people. So one of them was my wife. And when I almost... Didn't even meet her because she had a weird name. I said, who's this person? Knock on the door, met her. And I just, it's probably the most amazing soul of anyone I'd met. And the thing is that as someone who'd lived in New York for 16, 17 years, I say you can get married to the city because New York is so beautiful and so much things to do and so many amazing people to meet and have relationships with and connect and learn. You could kind of fall in love with that and which I was, but at some point I had to get out. And then when I met my Ikari, what came up for me was, I know this other script. I know this other mode of having these intimate relationships with all these amazing souls that kind of come and go forever, how long or short they are. But this other one, this other script of being with one soul for a long time, I have no idea what that's like. And this is a soul that I, regardless of whether it ends horribly, I'm down for this roller coaster ride. I don't know how it's going to end, if it's going to end, but whatever. Like, and when I felt that, like, I don't care about the end. I'm just down for the ride because I have no idea what that's like with this kind of individual or this soul. I was like, let's do it. So we tried it. So I jumped in. Took I love back it. The path. I love it. How long ago was that? Because you told me you're 47. Yeah, that was, I was 42. It was January 2018. Mm-hmm. And now we have two children. Wow, congrats. Yeah, I have two kids. Cosmos Ilan. Ilan means tree. Kept Hebrew. up the name thing. Yeah, Cosmos the interesting Ilan. name thing. But my wife... Yeah, and the other one is my daughter is Laila Oceana, Night Ocean. But my wife chooses the names and then I balance them. So I follow my wife's lead because I think we should be listening more to the feminine. I mean, we are the one bearing the child. Yeah, and we've... We should have... Absolutely. You know what? Thank you for saying that. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like obviously love my husband so grateful. He's such an equal part in you know our relationship. But in this pregnancy, you know, I saw a meme recently that was like pregnancy and like giving birth is like when you have a group project and you do 90% of the work (laughs) and the other person gets the A. It's like, no, No. I did all of this shit and I want to name my kid whatever the fuck I want to name my kid. 
Like, and you're going to have to be okay with that. <laughs> so what do you name your kid? I mean, I can't. Uh, can't we not? You know what? By the time this episode comes out, no, I still probably will, unfortunately, be in my, in it, the baby will be inside uh -huh. me still. So I can't tell you, but I will say that we agreed jointly on mm -hmm. the name and that's fine. But there is a name that I want to name like a future child and he's already vetoed it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's not well, okay. My feeling was just that we've had a history of masculine energy dominating and look where it got us and look at what feminine energy does and can do. And like, it's, I just feel like I should be in service of that. And I am because my wife, in, in her presence, she she has access to a lot of things that I don't. And I should service that without giving up my identity because then I can't really serve her. Right. I mean, yeah. But so when she came up with the name, my thought was, I need to balance it. My She's like, we're going to name him Cosmos. I'm like, fuck, we got to balance that because otherwise the kid's going to be in the stars all the time. So I named it Ilan, which is tree, tree roots. So the earth, roots, Cosmos, he's balanced. I love that. Yeah. That reminds me of the astrological elements, which leads me to my next question because uh -huh. I'm so curious. When is your birthday? May 18th. Oh, Taurus. Taurus. So you are earthy. Yeah. And when is your wife's birthday? January 28th. So is she Aquarius? Oh, she's an Aquarius. Love that. That's, but, um, yeah, go ahead. I don't know much about astrology, but I always get a reaction when I say this. My son is triple Aries. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is he fiery? Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I don't, yeah. He's like, <laughs> I have never met a triple Aries. <laughs> Sometimes I, my wife and I think like, is there something like, do we need to raise him differently? And then I tell astrologers, he's triple Aries. Like, no, he's all right. Just do, let him do his thing. Oh my gosh. That is, that is wild. What are you? I'm Libra, which is the opposite of Aries. Yeah. Stable and balanced. Is that? Uh, well, the rest of my chart is like Virgo and Capricorn. So I'm kind of neurotic, but I like to try to be stable sometimes. It is a new year and everyone is putting their best foot forward and being intentional, especially when it comes to dating. And with this new year, that means new opportunities to make connections. And it can be tough to put yourself out there and know where to start. But that is why I'm so grateful that we're partnering with Hinge, my favorite dating app designed to be deleted. Hinge is there's no surprise that Hinge is the most popular in January, but like we got to keep this up, guys, because dating is like a muscle that we need to work. It's the same as working out. It's the same as having a job. It's the same as sleeping. Dating is very important. And with Hinge, they make it so easy for you. Like you cannot tell me that it's not easy to make a great profile on Hinge and I'll help you. For example, you can use the prompt, this year I really want to blank, and share your own answer. So like, for example, maybe you can write, this year I really want to not have the bunk bed in a share house or something that, you know, is relatable and lighthearted and you can do it. Like you can come up with something. I know that you can. And you can manifest the dating experience that you want this year and take it into your own hands. Download Hinge and find someone worth deleting the app for, like so many people have. So download Hinge and find that great dating experience and let me know how it goes. So going back to kind of your background, I for our listeners who don't know you, what is the Skin Deep? Yeah. And how did you decide to start this? How did you kind of become this like spiritual person in general who feels like going deeper than the average human? Okay. Um, so the Skin Deep is one question and the spiritual is another one. I'd say Skin Deep was 2013, 14. And I just saw how technology is affecting the human experience being alive. You know, dating was then on OkCupid and apps and how we were communicating. I have a brother who's 15 years younger. We were both living in Williamsburg at the time, both single. And I saw how he was dating differently than I was. His relationship technology was different than mine. And therefore, the way he communicated on text, it was different than mine. And I saw, wow, this is really interesting. Like, we should explore, the emo like, what does it mean to be human and the way we relate with one another in lieu of this incredible technology that everyone's using and how we're so good at adapting to change as humans that we quickly forget how it used to be. 
You know, now now people don't even talk on the phone. They just leave voice messages for each other yeah. or texts. And, you know, it used to be like dialing a phone number and waiting or sending a letter and writing in the mail and waiting three weeks for a response. Things are changing so fast. The way we're relating to each other is changing so fast. And I wanted to create a media brand, an experienced studio, really, that explored that. That's how we, and, and our most successful one is The End, which is about, The End is about the space between because relationship is not you or I, us or them, it's you and I, us and them. It's the and that connects us, the and that's the space between. So we created this project, it's on YouTube, TikTok and all that, where we video interviews between people in a relationship, father, sons, ex-lovers, couples, polyam, every, every type of relationship where they're asking each other questions. And they're not just regular boring questions, by the way, right. for anyone who hasn't watched these videos. There are questions that you're like, why have I never asked this person that question? Yeah. And so that, yeah, that comes from, you know, the question is like, where does that come? I mostly write the questions and where does that come? It speaks to the spiritual questions. Mm-hmm. Just, and it's also in, in the book, you know, where I share is just, look, it, the pain of my experience as a childhood, which was a very young divorce. I was three, four, and I basically mediated my parents' divorce and I had a 15 month younger brother. So I was trying to pr- protect him, if you will. I didn't do a great job at that, but I was mediating this divorce. And I think that with two people who did not know how to be intimate per se. And so I think that created this pain in me, this desire to find intimacy and have intimacy. And that over many years has then evolved into this project, which is basically an exploration of intimacy between humans through conversation. So I think that's how it led me to that and spiritually like created a a pain, which turned into a hunger, which turned into a hope. hope, I believe it's a gift now. Yeah. Gift in terms of others, you know, like the and is awesome. No, it is. I mean, I watched a bunch of videos Mm. earlier today and I I was just so curious, like, how do you choose the people that come on? We don't really choose too many. I mean, we kind of, well, in the beginning we took whoever showed up and the truth, whoever were courageous enough to be vulnerable in our space. Vulnerable meaning you don't have to be vulnerable, but courageous enough to step into a space where you are posed with these questions and then you decide whether to answer them or not. I mean, that is a vulnerable position to be in. So we would take whoever would come along. And then now, same thing, we pretty much take, but, I, but we have so many applicants every time we do a production and people actually fly in. We're doing one, like we did one in uh, November and people flew across the country. It's always, people are flying in from my, like they fly across the country just for that experience. So it's a real honor to hold that space. So at this point with all the applicants, I kind of look for where's the opportunity here to create a learning or a cathartic experience for these participants. Like that's always been my case, but I'm really looking to that. And where is there, where is there a story or a relationship or an experience that we haven't quite filmed before? But I really feel grateful for what kind of has been bestowed upon my team and I with the end, because I feel like it's a responsibility because we hold this tool, which is amazing because frankly, there's a story. There's so many stories in relationships. And it's almost like there's as many stories as there are grains of sand on the beach. So I can really just any two people that have a relationship, you put them in this space and they can have an incredible conversation. So the casting is quite easy because it'll work with everybody. Mm-hmm. But the flip side is because it's such a powerful tool, we're trying to apply it to other important issues. You know, we've done sexual assault. We've done um, incarceration, post-incarceration. So we try to apply this and tool that creates empathy and deep listening to different subjects, different experiences of humanity. Mm-hmm. And the questions that you have these people answer, I'm curious, is there overlap with your book, 12 Questions for Love? And yeah. like, are these questions, and I was thinking maybe we could go over like four, mm-hmm. if you would sure. be so kind to tell us four of these questions. Not all of them, because we obviously want people to pick up the book and experience it themselves. Maybe even three, but yeah. like, Give us an example. What's yeah. what's one of them? Well, in 12 Questions for Love, the book is that. It's, I've taken the 12 questions that I've seen over the last 10 years that are create the most cathartic conversations, mm-hmm. catalysts for, for depth and exploration, you know, because we have so many. But these are the 12 that I've seen work time and time again. And it's not just which questions, it's also the order. That's really important. And so that's what's in this book. And if, if you have this conversation with your partner, you will have a cathartic conversation. It's just structured that way. And you can have the same questions over over again, and it'll be a slightly different conversation only because time has changed, shifted. So there's two parts to having a deeper conversation. And we're not really trained or taught in our lives how to have that. And oftentimes the inclination, especially when you have a deeper conversation vulnerable, is to go fast because it's uncomfortable. 
or not to do it at all because it's uncomfortable, you know? So, mm-hmm. but the truth is, in my opinion, the truth is that A, there's a distinction between safety and discomfort. Safety is essential, but discomfort is good. If you feel uncomfortable, that's a sign like, I say the path to growth is lit by your fears. It's lit by your discomfort. Follow wherever they appear and you'll grow. Mm-hmm. And so when you feel that discomfort, it's like, great, there's something to un- unravel here. There's something to unwrap because inside that there's a nutrients or an energy that will fuel your growth and the relationship's growth. So that's what's in the book. And part of that is creating the space of, the, you know, to explore discomfort, safe. And then the other one is the questions. What are the questions? How are they written? And in what sequence are they offered? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that does. That so, does. Yeah. So you can have that conversation with your husband and let me know how it goes. A lot of people have. Well, so give me, so give me a question. Okay. So the structure is, you know, the first three questions are mm-hmm. really about the past and the unique synergy of your relationship. Mm-hmm. So that, because we're building this experience of this conversation and the, the fundamental basis architecture has to be strong. It has to remind you of your love. It has to be a, of what began. You know, what is one of your favorite, three favorite memories we share and why? Mm-hmm. That's so, not in the book per se, but those kind of questions are like, right. or a question that's like, when was the first time you knew I loved you? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's a cool reframe. Yeah. So it's kind of like, let me take you from, like, let me take you to the beginning of your relationship through the middle, yeah. through where we are now. Well, let me say, if your husband shows up tonight and says, Lindsay, why do you love me? Out of the blue, you're, you're not going to wonder why you love him. The first question you're going to wonder is why the fuck is he asking me this question? Right. What's the context? So if we build a context, you're playing a game and he pulls out a card. Why do you love me? You're now, you're not wondering because you know, he, he's, we're playing a game. The question was, why do you love me? So now the space is created where you can answer it. And more importantly, arguably, it's for him to receive it. Right. So we create a context like, hey, we're going to play 12 questions for love. Okay. We're going to have space. We have time. These questions come up and we're going to explore them. And we're not going to wonder why we're asking a question because mm-hmm. we know we're playing this game. And then the questions are not, hey, Lindsay, what do you think about love? It's about how do you think we think about love differently? The questions are always about the space between. So it's not, you know, if you look at 36 questions, are there, Aaron's 36 questions for love? Yeah, I refer to that all the time. Yeah. If you look at that, that might be good for strangers, mm-hmm. but not necessarily for one who are in relationship because very few of the questions ask about our connection, right? So, so many questions are like, what do you think about love? Or what are you scared about most? If you're mother asks you that, if I ask you that, or the waiter asks you that, you're going to answer those questions in the exact same way. Right. But if I ask you, how do we think about love differently? How do we face fear differently? That acknowledges the relationship. So if your mom asks you that, it'll, you'll answer it differently than if I ask you that, or if the, right? You're acknowledging. That's so true. So, so the questions are shaped like that, that, that pull at the thread of our connection. Mm-hmm. And we're not taught how to do that in life. Hopefully this book will put that blueprint into people's hands because there's so much ingredients rich nutrients in the relationships of your life that we rarely explore because maybe we're uncomfortable. We don't know how to do it. And here's a architecture for how to do it. Here's a mechanics and it's the space and it's the question. So first structure is like going back in the past and how do you build? So you have trust. Oh yeah, we have that thing that spark. Okay. Now let's start second three questions about conflict. So the first one would be, what are you hesitant to ask me and why? What are you hesitant to ask me and why? What if the answer is nothing? Like, and I'm just saying this in the context of myself, right? Like I ask my husband too many things. (laughs) So like, what if that's... For me, that's great. But you know, so when you ask the question, it's not so important the answer. Mm -hmm. What's important is the emotional experience both participants are having in facing that answer. Because maybe, okay, your husband asked you that and you think and you think, he might go off or your partner might go off and say, oh, it might be this, it might be that, it might be this. And then you say nothing. Like, oh, nothing? So it's not these three other things? Mm-hmm. They're still having a conversation. There's still that exploration. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's okay if there's nothing. And like, we're having an exploration, we're having fun, and you always find something. Mm-hmm. I mean, or you won't. Or even the fact that there's nothing, that's a discovery. Right. Right? Well, actually, like now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, I could probably come up with something that I've never asked him. We actually, I feel like you'll like this. The other day on Instagram, I had asked a poll question, which we do a lot. Mm. And I said, is there anything that's off limits for you and your significant other to talk about? Mm. And a surprising amount of yeses. And so everyone was like, find out what's off limits. So I did like an open-ended question box. And I was like, you know, tell me what's off limits with you and your partner. And most of the answers, I was like, 
totally get that. Like, you know, one of them was like describing their ex's like genitals. I'm like, that's fine. You don't have to talk about that. But you to know? each other. To each other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, that's good. The other person's like, you know, their body count of how many people they've slept with. Another mm -hmm. person was like, how I really feel about their sister, like understood, you know? But then there were things that I really felt like people should have discussed, mm, right? Like, like, like salary, for example. Another one was like stomach digestive issues. <laughs> I'm like, how could you not discuss that? Uh -huh. That's 80% of our conversations, mm -hmm. truly. <laughs> really? Like, yeah. I Wait, mean, you and your husband's conversation? Yes. Oh, wow. Well, just because, first of all, we both have weak stomachs. Uh -huh. And second of all, I don't know. I have like, I have this theory that happier, better relationships are able to like talk about pooping and, and, and to fart in front of each right. other and stuff. Like, yeah. if you can't do that in front of your person that you're with 20, like, you know, 98% of the time, like, you're not, you're not being yourself. I agree. It's crazy. I mean, I just think, yeah, you're being another, yeah. But then there were like other things that were, I was on the fence about, like someone said, wait, mm -hmm. you know? And I was like, I get that, you know, especially if you struggled with like a dis an eating disorder, like I guess there's no reason to tell your partner your weight and you know, whatever. Yeah. They were like, you know, what my parents really think of my partner or like if they make, make a mean comment about my partner, I'm not going to tell them that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. What do you think is off limits for you and, and your wife? Well, what comes up for me from what you just said, what hits me is the idea that I, I don't think, I think everyone can not talk about what they want and talk about and have off limits or not and boundaries. I, I have no judgment about what they talk about or not. In my opinion, what's better or not. What I do think is helpful is just being aware and conscientious of those areas, right? And not kind of doing it blindly and because then it becomes a minefield. And you don't not to go there. Do I go there or not? And if you're like, okay, we don't talk about these things. I'm aware. I don't want to talk about it. And that's how it is. But sometimes I think it's just good that a relationship is aware of where are their blind spots, where are the spaces they don't go. And if they're okay with it, they're okay with it. For me, my wife and I, we don't have anywhere we don't go. Of course, you know, some conversations are more vulnerable than others and more uncomfortable to have. But yeah, fortunately with me and my wife, you know, back when I was single, I wouldn't, I would never go to the bathroom. I had that thing of like, I don't want to hear when <laughs> yeah. hear me in the bathroom. Yeah. I would have that discomfort and vulnerability. Like, eh. So that was kind of like a, but I don't have that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. So if you, if you feel like everything's out in the open with your wife, like, do you know? And of well, course. Well, everything's in the open, but not everything is comfortable, right? There's right, certain things right, I right. don't want to talk about that are discomfortable, but obviously we talk about it. But like, for example, and you yeah. don't have to answer this if you don't sure. want to, but like you, so you know, like how many people your wife slept with before you uh, and... I haven't asked her. Right. So I guess something that's off limits is like, I'm not interested. Right. I don't want, but I mean, I have, I think I'm, I'm friends with two or three of her ex-boyfriends. Right. But it's like, so I guess there's a difference between something that's off limits versus something you're not interested in knowing. I feel like yeah. there's, that's a distinction. And I don't think she's interested in knowing mine. And I, I would tell her if she asked but I don't think, maybe because we met in such older age, you know, I met her at 42 and she was late 30s. So at that point you're much more mature. It's like, who really cares about the body count? Yeah. You know? what no, no, no. You know, like, I mean, I don't care yeah. how many people my husband has slept with, but I would love to know about yeah. his past in that right. way. Whereas mm -hmm. he doesn't want to know about mine. He doesn't want to know, right? Because it's different, right? For I him, just maybe? feel like it's sometimes men are like, you know, Territorial. they like to act as if like they met you when you <laughs> were born, right. like that morning. And like you had no experience the first before one, that. Only one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Touch it, for the very first time. It makes, yeah. Well, one of our questions we have is the dating deck, for instance, is what is something your ex partner would warn me about dating you? Mm. Or another one is, how has your last relationship shaped you for this one? Because that's an interesting question. Yeah, like, yeah. What have your previous lovers and partners and how have they shaped you for the relationship that we're in? Mm -hmm. What patterns are you still regurgitating from those that are here? Mm -hmm. You know, what? that's an interesting exploration. Yeah, right? I, I love that. I have given the advice to ask, it's basically the same question, but it's like, what would your, yeah, what would your ex say is like your blind spot or like something right. that you, you know contend that your pattern that you cannot like escape or something, mm -hmm. you know, that's helpful. Right. Like what would all of your past relationships kind of like, what would the negative feedback be? Something like that. 
And I think it's actually good to put yourself in that position. Yeah. To put yourself in other shoes and reflect back. Yeah, but it's hard to really know, right? Like, Oh, yeah. Who knows? No, like you don't tell, you didn't tell your exes what the real, you know, problem was probably. Like you might have said like a little bit of, you know, so yeah. I, I never really fully know the answer to it. Because it's also different with every relationship. Because I'm like, well, that one definitely just thought that like I was, you know, a bitch or whatever. And then this other one definitely, you know, thought that I was too controlling. Like mm -hmm. it could be different every time. But like who, like for me, it's not as important what they really think. Mm -hmm. The fact that that's what I think. So where's, because ultimately is what's my growth? How am I going to change from that learning experience? So if I think they thought I was an asshole, mm -hmm. then I should deal with that. Right. Even though they might say, no, you're the most yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. person. But like, no, there's something I think I did that was like an asshole. So how do I make sure I don't do that in the future? Right. You know, how do I, regardless of what they may think, because you won't, vice versa, you might think, wow, she loves me. She she can't stop thinking about me and she's wonderful. And you ask her and she's like, no, he's an asshole. <laughs> you know, right, like, right, right. You don't know. But, but how does it affect me? And more importantly, how does it change me so that I can be a more whole person, present person, the present relationship I'm in. Right. No, it's funny because it's like, then at the same time, what your ex thinks about you might not be the same thing that your current partner thinks about you. Meaning like, right. we'll explore the, the, the bitch comment. Like I had an ex who thought, who like accused me of being a robot when it came to like emotions and stuff. Okay. But I swear to you, if I called my husband right now and I was like, do you think I'm a robot when it comes to emotions? He'd be like, Absolutely not. So it's it's weird. Do you, were you a robot with that previous partner, you think? A little bit. So it, was it the alchemy with your present husband that makes you more emotional? I think so, yeah. Right? Because my partner is a water sign. You know I'm into astrology. Uh -huh. And he's very in touch with his emotions. Uh -huh. So I'm able to bring mine out uh -huh. because of him. Interesting. So yeah, he creates, so there's an alchemy there. There's, yeah, you are different yeah, yeah. with different people, no? Mm -hmm. Totally, we are. And that's why like, I get so frustrated when, you know, when people write in and they're like, I just don't understand. Like he told me, I, you know, it was never going to work. And now he's immediately in this new relationship and it works. And it's like, that has literally nothing to do with you. Right. Like it was truly the connection that they had and it sucks, but. I have a wacky theory. Tell me. Okay, it's a wacky theory. So pass the joint. <sighs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's wacky, but it might sound wacky. And okay. what it is, is that, and I'm not even sure if it's true, but it's something that I, well, that, that I kind of ruminate on, which is that each, like every relationship you're in, you're actually in relationship with this other energy. And that other energy is, is like, has different costumes, but it's always that same energy and it's costumes being different people. Like this is a lawyer, that's a banker, dancer, artist, that's cam, whatever, different people. But if you look in the black of the eyes, it's like you're engaging. The question is, how are you engaging with that energy? And each costume, each person that you engage with is just another practice of engagement with that, with that other energy. But it's the same energy? Pretty much. It's like the oneness. You know, if like, it's like the oneness behind the black of the eye mm -hmm. and the onyx. And I'm just saying like, it's like, I just had this experience where I look in the black eye and then a few partners I had, and then I look in the black eye of my wife. I'm talking about the onyx, not the eyes of the pupil, but like the black. And I'm like, oh, I've been dancing with this energy all along. But now the previous dances I've had perfected my dance, brought me more present, taught me how to lean into discomfort, taught me how to communicate, how to process my emotions. So now when I land with this costume and this kind of story, I'm able to engage in such a high level that I'm really invested in it. Interesting. You know, it's just a thought. It's yeah, like, no. a thought. It's like everyone looks like, oh, this didn't work out with her, didn't work with her. There's actually a connection between all your partners. Oh, that I right? believe. Yeah. There's like a thread. Mm -hmm. And then that thread brings you to us. And then you will find the partner that lasts or takes you on a certain journey for however long, children or not, or polyam, whatever. And the question is not how long it lasts, not what you do. It's like, how engaged are you in that relationship? How much are you really bringing yourself to it? How much are you giving of yourself? How much are you reflecting of the other? How much are you really playing in that game, in that dance, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I agree with that. My only like yeah. caveat to that Please. would be, I, I do see the thread for sure. I've always thought, and this is maybe like very, maybe too optimistically, but I feel like my partner, my husband is like the kind of culmination of like all of the good qualities that 
each of those costumes mm. had mm. in one person. Beautiful. But I'm like, is that so? Or, right? Or uh-huh. if your theory is true, are all those qualities in me and being reflected onto him because it, you know, right. like, this is like probably both. Said, I don't yeah. know. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird. Okay. Wow. I, I think ultimately just don't take these relationships for granted. Even mm-hmm. if they end, what did you learn from them? Right. What was a hidden gift? Like one question that we ask is, how do our fights make us better? Mm-hmm. What is our biggest challenge and what is it teaching us? Why are you in my life? Why am I in your life? You know, that's what's important is that we're passing these souls and we're engaging with these different souls in the context of our life. And if you made a film once around the world and one of the scenes was in Hiroshima and there was this 86 year old man who was talking to two American girls in the, in the film documentary. And he told him, and he said, think about it. In your life, there's a Hiroshima survivor. You can see his face is scarred and everything. He goes, in your life, you're probably going to meet only a thousand people, like really meet and talk to maybe a thousand people. In your whole life, you're going to have a real conversation and a real relationship, short or not, but only a thousand people. How are you showing up for those thousand people? What are you learning from them? What are you sharing with them? How are you inspiring them? What are you reflecting for them? How are you engaging with them? How are you showing up? Because there's only a thousand. It's a lot of people, though. It's a lot of people. <laughs> it's us. But I mean, over the course of 80 years, it's actually... Right. It's not. No, no, it's true. It's true. Well, speaking of fights, one thing that I saw in one of your videos that it was actually you on camera reframing a question, which I really liked, which was instead of saying to your partner, why do we fight so much? You said, don't say that. Say, what do you think we're learning from our fights? And that was really interesting to hear because I have a friend who is a new parent and her and her partner have kind of stopped connecting post kids. Mm. And I was actually going to send that to her and be like, this is what you should ask, Mm. you know, your husband. Mm -hmm. What is your advice as someone who has had kids and continued to connect with their partner after? How did you like get that connection back or was it ever gone? So how do you uh, ride the waves of change with these two, with these new souls, these children? Yeah. I'm still writing that out. I mean, last week I told my wife, we have a three and a half year old and a nine month old. And I told my wife, we're like both exhausted, barely sleep at night. And I'm like, the barbarians have overrun us. We've been overrun by the barbarians because we're both exhausted. And, you know, we, I always say like, you have to respect the date night. We have to do the date night. Mm Mm-hmm. But we haven't had a chance to do the date night. And I think that's really key. You need the date night. You need that time together. But but the date night is kind of just like you two sitting across from each other having forced conversations. Right. That's why the, that's why like the questions that the skin deep that we sell are so helpful. Right. It's like lubrication to open up the space. Right. Or, you know, 12 questions of love. Like have this experience on date night and you're gonna I guarantee you these 12 questions are gonna change your right. relationship. Like forever. you have to take the date night and make it make something, it something valuable. Like yeah. sitting across the table from each other on date night, if you already kind of resent each other to begin with, is not gonna be good for your relationship. Un- unless you, you ask the good questions. Unless you ask good questions, you, which it, is rare unless you have your book, obviously. Right, or the games, Or yeah. the games. But I feel like we should be taking these date nights and we should be doing something that scares us or doing something that's, active like right. go fucking rock climbing with exactly. your partner exactly exactly i agree yeah i agree take that time i think My, that's what i agree with that 100 and for me i find that i don't i love the products but i don't always like having the playing the game with i don't like always playing the game because it's you know I've, i'm gonna play the game i'm gonna be honest i'm gonna be direct and, and sometimes you know especially with friends or something family like it can be rather like intense but that's just because of who i am not because of how the game is but because who i am but I do find that every time that there's this tension with my wife and I, the tension where you're like, fucking, I don't want to fucking talk. Like there's, I, if I talk, I'm going to be saying some mean shit right now. That's when I grab, and my wife loves the game, by the way. That's when I grab a deck, a healing deck or couples, long-term couples. I pull that out because it creates a space. Like there's no agenda. Not someone who's asking the question. It's random, mm-hmm. right? I guarantee if you take the self deck, it might ask you a question that's like the question right now that you're thinking about. You're like, and that's what usually happens. So I use that as a tool. It's like when I feel that tension with my wife where I don't want to have the conference, that's exactly when I try to create the space and pull out the game. Right. Because I know that there's a, and you know, if you don't address it, it's going to fester. It's going to kind of get like the scar tissue that's harder. And that only means that something bigger is going to have to hit you so that you have to deal with it. Right. And I'd rather stretch now versus like tear my hamstring later. 
Right. In terms of the relationship. So right? true. Okay, wait now, pick a card because I wanna I just wanna see because now you said okay. that and I'm too curious. This is this is so this this deck is actually one of my favorites. It's about yourself. This is the self one. Okay. All the so you can do are, it alone. You do it alone and you actually do it around a question that you're wondering about. And then you just pull these out here. Just so, pick a card, any card. You pick a card. Oh, okay. And then just it would be like in relation to that, you'd answer it. Mm-hmm. Did I send you one to your husband and you? Didn't I send you guys a deck or two? I didn't get it yet, but really? maybe I have to check. What do I love about my current reality slash situation? Ooh. I mean, I love that I'm creating life. I think it's so mm. fucking crazy. And it's something I wanted so badly. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's, that's my it. answer. Okay. That's so cool. I love it. Topaz, this was so much fun. I feel like I learned so much. Can you leave us with a quote or piece of advice? Maybe something from the book. You sure. Or maybe something just that. I think the biggest thing I've learned is stop looking for answers. I think we're so trained to find answers and we're thinking about answers. And in regards to your friend who's married and the question about the relationship with the kids. And it's like, we're always looking, we're always like looking for the answer, but we don't focus enough on the question. Stop looking for answers. Focus everything on creating better questions. That's that's the key. Yeah. And once you find a question that's really worthwhile answering, the answer is obvious. But we have to be really conscientious of, we wake up in the morning, oh, fuck, I got to do that. We don't realize that before I said, fuck, I got to do that, there was a question. What do you got to do today? Well, don't wake up with that question. We'll wake up with, what can I create today that I could not any other day? Ooh, okay. What questions are you asking yourself? Be really conscientious of that. And whenever you're focused on, and you find yourself troubled, like, I just don't know, you know, what should I do next in my work? Or where should we move to? Or should I break up or not? Stop. Don't focus on the answer. Change the question. Come up with 30 different questions and then choose the one that inspires you, that creates the most agency. And there's three parts to the question. How do you feel in it? A time frame, And how does it affect others? So if you're wondering if you break up or not, you go, what's the best thing I could do in the next three months that makes me feel inspired and vital and supports my family or inspires my friends? And just keep swapping different options in those three slots and find the question that you love. And then the answer becomes obvious. Awesome. Love it. Everyone can get your book yep. January 2nd. Yeah, it's already it out. Is, it is out. 12 Questions for Love. Where can everyone find you? Find The Skin Deep on social, all the things. Yeah, we're on social. The Skin Deep. Our website's theskindeep.com. 12 Questions for Love is available. Audiobook, ebook, and book everywhere. So... That's it. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.